Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. Thank you for joining me today for a conversation with another interesting leader who's changing the world one day and one person at a time. But before we get to my conversation with my friend, Mike Kim, I wanted to share a quick story with you that I think fits nicely with what you'll learn from Mike in this episode. This past week, I made a mistake. Now, I know you're shocked to hear that, but even though I don't always like to admit it, I'm human and it happened. In the big scheme of things, it was a small mistake, but it was big enough that when it happened, I got that full body feeling of shame, anguish, embarrassment that you've probably felt when you know you did something wrong, you can't take it back, and, and it's just wrong. The mistake was that I sent an email to the people in my community who've opted in to hear from me from time to time about high-impact leadership and talent strategies to move them forward in their lives and careers. This particular email was to let them know about the latest podcast episode so they could tune in to learn from my last guest, William Tincup. Nothing abnormal about that. But as sometimes can happen when you're juggling lots of balls in the air, I pushed the communication deadlines a little too tight and as a result, didn't pay close enough attention to the details. This caused an email to be sent to my community with the dreaded opening of, quote, hi, first name, end quote, which even though most people accept that they're on an email list, no one really wants to be reminded of the fact that your email wasn't meant for just them personally. And not only did I commit one of the cardinal sins of email marketing, I went above and beyond and added a typo to the greeting by misspelling the word hi, which when you think about it, took some real skill and talent to misspell a two-letter word. Within minutes of the email going out, Several of my friends responded back to me, pointing out the error, some with humor, some just noting it so I'd be aware of it, and many mentioning the fact that this isn't probably how you want to represent yourself to your community, which was very true. I was so embarrassed and so defeated because there's really no taking it back. There's no taking it back. The email had been sent to hundreds of people, and everyone who opened it would immediately have a negative reaction. I know I would. And I have when I've been on the receiving end of that misstep in the past. Now I was faced with a choice. Do nothing and just sit back, knowing that I've offended people around the world minute by minute and likely over the next few days, or send a second email to apologize. And while that sounds like a good option, it's not really because nobody really wants to get more email and I don't really want to be the person filling up your inbox. But I did feel the need to apologize, so I took a few minutes to write a short email pointing out the error and apologizing for making some in my community feel like I didn't value them. I added a facepalm gif or jif with Captain Picard to illustrate how it made me feel, and I ended the email by sharing a few of the things that I'm loving now, like the Twitter account Dog Feelings, which makes me smile, author John Acuff, who makes me smarter, and Amy Landino's YouTube channel, which is making me love YouTube again. I figured it was the least that I could do. I wanted to add some value for the time I'd taken from them to read two emails from me in one day. What happened next made a huge impact on me and taught me a valuable lesson. Almost immediately after pressing send, I started receiving replies, text messages, tweets, and Facebook messages from people who'd received the apology email. Some thanked me for sending it because they thought I'd been hacked, since the first email didn't fit with how I typically communicate with them. 
Others thanked me for admitting the mistake and handling it with humility and humor. A few people shared that they were saving the email as an example to use in the future when they made the mistake, made a mistake, and they needed to apologize for it. Over the course of the evening and through the next day, the replies kept coming in. More replies than I've ever received to one of my emails, and everyone gave me grace. I was brought to tears more than once by the kindness and gratitude expressed in the quick messages. It really doesn't take that much to make me cry. I'm human. I make mistakes. And not only did most people forgive me, many of them mentioned that they learned something in the process. Now, I realize that in the context of all the things going on in the world, this mistake doesn't even register on the scale of important things. It really doesn't. But while a few people may have unsubscribed from receiving future updates from me, I'll be okay. But I do think it's helpful to be reminded that most people are for you. They want you to succeed. And even more importantly, when you make mistakes, are honest, and share what you've learned, your community can learn from your mistakes too. And that's a good segue to introducing you to my guest today, my friend Mike Kim. Mike is someone that I've been learning from for years now. I connected with Mike probably three years ago when we were both members of an online membership community for entrepreneurs and business builders created by Michael Hyatt, which is called Platform University. At the time, Mike was a successful chief marketing officer for an organization focused on helping students to succeed in school and achieve top test scores to gain admission into the college of their choice. But he was also blogging and podcasting in the evenings and on the weekends, And he was sharing what he was learning about building a personal brand beyond his job title or position in the company that he worked for. When I noticed him sharing helpful information and resources he was creating in the member forums, I visited his website. I liked what I saw, I downloaded his blogging guide, and I subscribed to his podcast. Even though I was a few years into running my own business, I found the experiences, tips, and resources he shared to be very helpful. And I really enjoyed his conversational and relatable style. Mike regularly shared what he was learning in his part-time entrepreneurial journey and also talked honestly about the mistakes he was making along the way. Eventually, he decided to leave his day job and go out on his own full-time. He escaped corporate America, so to speak, and since that time, he's continued to share his experiences with an ever-growing audience of entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, and authors, and those who want to become entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, and authors. Mike has now become one of my most trusted business advisors and also a good friend. When he started a mastermind group a few years ago, I was one of the first to apply to get in. I knew I could learn a lot from him and happily paid for the opportunity to get access to his coaching and network. I think you can learn a lot from Mike's journey if you think that you may ever want to start your own business or just a side hustle. I also think you can learn from him if you're doing exactly the work that you want to be doing today whether that's in the corporate world, in ministry, or by serving others in some way. He has great advice on how you can create greater impact in the world by identifying your purpose, clarifying your message, and connecting others. I think you'll enjoy my conversation today with Mike Kim. Well, hey, Mike Kim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ms. Jennifer McClure. Well, thank you so much, that melodious voice. I'm so excited to have you here on my podcast for reasons that I'm sure will come out in our conversation. But maybe before we get kind of started into that, I usually like to start with um, a little bit about you. And I've already told people, you know, how I've, I met you and connected with you. But um, maybe start from wherever you want to towards the beginning on kind of what is the Mike Kim story? You know, how did you kind of... Uh, 
come onto the scene in this world and, and start your journey. Yeah. I, like a lot of us, you know, in, in, in life, you go through a couple of transitions, right? And I, when I, I'm turning 40 this year, and when I got my start in my career, it was in something completely different than what I do now. I, right now, I have an online-based business. I teach marketing and branding. I speak at marketing conferences. And I'm on the cusp of doing a few different things and getting out of the marketing space. But a few years ago, I grew up doing music. I was working at a church as the music director. I thought that that was what I was going to do. And one day I went out to this, um, this, this conference and I met somebody who was at the top of the mountain at what I was doing at that time in my life. And I had this weird feeling, Jennifer. I was like, wow, do I want this guy's life in like 15 years? And I said, no. And I had no idea what that meant. It just meant that everything I was walking towards and building was not going to lead me to a place I wanted to really be. And so it created this, it was the catalyst for me to start thinking about life in a different way and to kind of build the kind of life that I want. And I realized that no one was going to do that for me. That if I was like one of these fish that just go along with the stream, that life would take me somewhere and it wasn't necessarily where I wanted to go. And so I got real serious about getting serious about what kind of life I wanted to have. And I took a leap of faith and I left that world. I went into um, marketing at this small business that hired me at the time, cut my teeth there. They eventually made me the CMO because the company grew so fast. And as soon as I took that job, I was like, I don't want to work for this company the rest of my life. And so I started a blog at MikeKim.com and I, you know, just started sharing marketing stuff that I was learning. And, you know, it was just documenting the journey that I was on. And strangely enough, a few people other than my mother were interested in it. And that's how I built an audience and was eventually able to leave corporate America and do what I do now, which is speak and coach people in marketing and branding and put on live events. And it's just a journey of twists and turns. Yeah. So when you, you know, kind of back when you were in the music ministry, um, was it then or when you when you met with the other person who was at the kind of top of the field that you said eventually you want to start your own business or was it just I know that I'm not where I want to be and I want to go somewhere else no yeah that was it I had no idea what I was gonna do <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like uh it was like it was like being in college uh for me college was like I don't know what I want to do but I know what I don't want to do. I don't like that class. I don't like this class. I don't like those classes. <laughs> and so for, for me in college and in life in general, it was just the more stuff that I tried, the more it helped me understand what I didn't want to do, which then narrowed down my interests. Because that's a really tough thing. I think college is the first time that people start to experience that kind of freedom of thought and choice and options and pathways that are possible where no one tells you exactly what to major in unless you've known that you wanted to be a doctor since you were 11 right? And we're, we're paralyzed by having all these options. It's the tyranny of choice, right? That's what we call it in marketing. Too many choices, people do nothing. And so then they just drift. So for me, it was, I know that this, like continuing to walk down this path is not what I want to do. Uh, I don't know what else I'm going to do. I would like to keep living indoors and eating food. Mm -hmm. So I had to get a job. And, um, then I discovered I loved marketing because it was a mix of creativity, which you know stemmed from my music and my art background. And yet it was also 
a vehicle by which I could see progress and growth and change happen in a business or an organization, which I always really enjoyed as well. And so it's kind of the best of both worlds. And um, yeah, at the, if you would have told me five years ago, six years ago that I'd be running my own business and doing what I'm doing now, I would have thought you were nuts. Yeah. So your education was not in marketing, correct? No, it was in American studies, which is the major that people pick who can't pick a major. (laughs) (laughs) The undecided major. (laughs) It's it's an interdisciplinary major. So like, yeah, sure. I took some, a bunch of classes in media and in in, um, journalism and history and literature and all that sort of stuff. And you can see uh, my background really always favored the humanities. But yeah, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. <laughs> so would you just call yourself then a, a self-taught marketer? I mean, you, you kind of went that direction, but obviously you've progressed to being very well known by a lot of other marketers today. So how did you kind of learn the craft? Yeah, I, I learned it when I was at work. And, um, you know, I learned on the fly. I, I, I guess I was a self-taught marketer. I, I figured, well, if I can help this company grow their business, um, that will be good for me. <laughs> and uh, they're asking me to do it and I care about keeping my job. And so I hustled and read everything that I could and learned everything that I could. And building a brand on the side, building my blog on the side was huge because it gave me a playground with which to work out some of these things that I was learning that weren't high risk to the company. And when I found that things were working on my personal brand on the side hustle, then I would take them to the company and they would work there. And so there was a tremendous alignment between both of those tracks in my life, my corporate life and my personal you know, brand building on the side life. And eventually, I got to a point where I was making enough of an impact with the people I was serving through my website that they allowed me to kind of transition out of my day job mm-hmm. and then thereby have more impact. And so now every day I wake up and I do work that I love. I believe in everything is fun. Um, doesn't mean everything is easy, but I'm in charge of my own destiny. And by that, that means I can impact people the way that I really feel like I wouldn't be able to had I stayed in my corporate job. So what was the catalyst for you to start blogging and sharing your journey? Was it somebody else you were following? You decided to do what they were doing or or how did you kind of make that decision? Yeah. You know what? Honestly, I just missed sharing ideas because before that, my, you know, my work was on stage. I was on on platforms a lot. I spoke a lot. I was playing music on stage. And when you are wired that way or you do work that way, and then all of a sudden that's taken away from you or you walk away from it. I mean, you know, this as a speaker, you sometimes miss speaking. You love that interaction with the audience and sharing your ideas and doing the research and putting together a presentation and then sharing your ideas with people. I really missed that. And so when I went into this corporate marketing job, I wasn't speaking in front of people. Right? I was speaking in the boardroom maybe, but I wasn't sharing real, I, like I wasn't really sharing my ideas the way that I was used to in the past. And so I figured, hey, why don't I just start sharing some ideas on my blog? And nobody read it. So then I got serious about maybe I should do this the right way and just see like what some of the best practices are. And I came across somebody named Michael Hyatt, who I know that, you know, is, is the guy that kind of like introduced you to that whole world as well. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how I found him. And I just followed his stuff. And then he had a bunch of friends that did other things that helped you build a blog and a brand. And I followed some of those people. 
And before you know it, I was just really totally all in because I saw the potential of it. And I loved that I was sharing my ideas and people were responding. So that's really where it came from. I just didn't, I just miss talking to people. I just miss sharing ideas and, um, you know, blogging and podcasting and all that stuff were just vehicles for me to do that. Um, I don't consider myself a blogger or a podcaster in the purest form of the word. I think I am an idea guy who happens to blog and happens to use a podcast. Um, if there were different ways to communicate better with people, then I would probably do those things. But it's all just about sharing ideas and making an impact. Yeah, and I think, you know, as, we're, as you mentioned, we originally connected was in a, a membership group that, that Michael Hyatt started called Platform University. And I came across you because uh, you shared a, a resource that you had created on how to create blogs. So you, you took something that you were doing and that you had been through and created a really in-depth um, downloadable lead magnet for people to uh, download. And even though I already had a blog, um, you shared it and I thought, well, that looks interesting. And I downloaded it. And from there, obviously went to your websites and started listening to your podcast. Um, and I came across you when you were still in your CMO job, kind of yeah. just doing this as a side hustle thing. So you, you mentioned that earlier that at some point you said, I kind of want to go out on my own. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that. Are you even, uh, you have a lot of uh, selfies that you use in your day-to-day -day life. One yeah, of those yeah, was yeah. the sadistic selfie that you took of yourself pictures at work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so like here's the, I had a great job. They paid me really well. I was a big hit there because I was getting them results. And here's what happens in a situation like that, right? Like you go day-to-day -day through, your, through your work week and you don't realize how tough it is, right? I mean, and you do, but then the company party happens, right? Every couple of months or the holidays and you get together with all the people that you're, you know, working with in the trenches and you go out for a bunch of drinks and they, the company, there's a big party and you romanticize and reminisce about all the things you've done together. And it's like, it creates this false sensation of like joy and pleasure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like it yeah. like masked how I felt on a day to day basis. And so what I started doing was taking pictures of myself while I was in the, in the office or on a conference call because I was so miserable, but I would forget how miserable I was after I went to sleep and came back to work the next day. And then the company party, and it just kind of masked that discontent that was sitting underneath. And it wasn't that I wasn't un, that, that I was ungrateful for my job. I was very grateful for it, but I knew, and this is where I think that, we have to learn to be really honest with how we feel. I knew that I wasn't doing my best by channeling all this energy into just one company. And that might sound a little arrogant or a little snotty or, or, or elitist or whatever, but I know that there are people listening to us right now and they know the same thing too. They almost feel I'm too good to be confined to one organization or to one company. And if that's how you feel, it's probably true. And if you enjoy working with different people, different organizations, you like the challenge of new, um, new ideas and new situations that you have to navigate people through, then consulting and coaching might be something that really appeals to you. And that's what I realized about myself. And so eventually I started to feel like I was in prison at my work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I used those selfies to remind myself of how discontent I was. And then, um, oh my gosh, commuting. If I never have to commute again, it couldn't come soon enough, right? And that, that's how I felt when I was working that job. 
And so now, you know, I work from home or I work wherever I want to go. I barely drive anymore, which is awesome. You know, I Uber everywhere because I'm like, I can use that time in the car to do something else. And um, that was another kicker. I was like, gosh, I'm spending 10 hours a week in my car. Mm -hmm. That's nuts. Like I could do so much more and have such a greater impact on people if I had that time back. So yeah, this this was like pain and fear and anxiety. And uh, that's what drove me. It wasn't just all the the fuzzy, warm fuzzies and the good stuff that pulled me. It was like, no, I don't want to commute anymore through New York traffic. And you know, that was it. (laughs) It's a shame that uh, we can't share some of those. I've seen some of the sadistic selfies. They're quite uh, amazingly terrible. Yeah. (laughs) They're hilarious. Yeah, they're hilarious. I had one, that one four series one that was called Death by the Conference Call. It was just me in like four different moments on the conference call and I put it all in one shot. So yeah, I share that a lot when I speak and people always get a really good laugh out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, it's because it's reality. It's like, it, it was like a meme of myself before I even knew what memes were. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, that's what I looked at. I had a whole album of them in my phone and whenever I would feel like, yeah, maybe I should settle. I would look at those pictures. I'm like, nope, got to get out. Yeah. So at some point you, you made this decision that, uh, it's time for me to escape uh, cubicle nation, uh, hat tip to Pam Slim with her book title mm-hmm. there. Um, what were some of the first steps that you took? So it's, it's one thing to say, I don't want to do this anymore. But as you said, it's another thing to say, I've got to eat and live indoors. Um, what, what are some of the steps that you took? And tell me about that journey, kind of how you eventually made the leap. Yeah, the first and most important thing was I just shared my ideas. And Jennifer, this is where I think a lot of people who, who are really brilliant people, um, this is where they get stuck. If you want to get out of cubicle nation. If you want to make a living sharing your ideas, that means you're a thought leader because people are paying you for your thoughts. People are paying you for what's inside your head. But if you never share what's inside your head, you have no marketing. Like no one can read my mind. No one can read your mind. No one can read, you know, their boss's mind or anyone like that. And so if you do the hard work of extracting what's in your head and then distilling it into a way that makes it really understandable to people at large, If you do that, you'll be rewarded for it because you're taking the extra step to harness your wisdom and your expertise and share it with the world. Now, if you do that and you do it in a very helpful, valuable way and you put some of the the strategies and tactics of digital marketing behind it, then you get noticed and you start to grow an audience. And I know that that word gets a little overplayed, at least in my world build an audience, build an audience. So let me put it in business terms, build a database. Mm -hmm. It's a database of customers. If you have a business out there that does not have a database of customers, you don't have a business. I mean, even the local pizza shop has a database of customers who call in and ask for pizza deliveries. They keep those people on record and then they can target them with coupons and ads and promotions and so on and so forth. So To put it in the strictest of business terms, the second thing I did was I built a database. Now, here's the thing. You can't build a database as a thought leader if you don't share your thoughts in the first place. So those two things went hand in hand. And then um, the third thing, once I had that database of people and I continued to serve them, I monetized that database by offering different products or services or coaching arrangements and the most important thing was creating a, a recurring revenue stream. And you were part of that group when we just f- first started. Uh, I started a mastermind group where it was just us and a few other people. And 
we created like a group and slash peer coaching arrangement. And that really helped because I knew that for the most part, that would be money and revenue that would come in every month. And that was really the game changer for me at that point. Mm-hmm. And you had, had set a goal to either replace your salary or half your salary before you actually left your CMO job? Or oh, yeah. That? So this is, <laughs> this is a great story. So, okay. So um, I was making, you know, six figures at my CMO job and, you know, you don't just quit uh, a six figure salary. That's kind of crazy. So um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I had a mentor tell me, well, you know, when I went through that situation, uh, my wife and I decided that when I would duplicate the income that I made from my day job three months in a row, then I would quit my day job. And he was, he was a writer. He did a lot of freelance writing on the side and he did that. And he's like, the mistake I made was I stayed nine months later (laughs) because he, he loved the extra income, but he didn't have a spare minute to his day. He was working two full-time jobs if you really think about it. And so when I broke this down, I was like, well, it's going to be really hard for me to duplicate that amount of money when I'm already working a very demanding work week, 50 plus hours a week at, at work. And so um, I figured out what the middle class number for me to survive where I lived was. And I said about $60,000 a year. I can survive on that, right? And if I break that down, I'm going to get into the little, you know, a little bit of math. That's $5,000 a month. Well, the, the idea of making $5,000 a month on the side sounded ridiculous, like ludicrous, ridiculous to me, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, how am I going to do that? So I focused on just making 10% of that number every month. So if I made an extra $500 a month instead of 5000 for a couple months in a row, I figured that I would learn a thing or two about monetizing that database of people that I'd accumulated for about a year and a half. And then I realized, oh, I can do this. And then $500 became 1000 and a thousand became two thousand, because I was able to wash, rinse, and repeat the process over and over again. So I'd sell a suite of downloadable templates, or I would offer a coaching call uh, when I had a free day during the week, and people would sign up for it. And I just thought to myself, if I do it once, that means I can do it again. And I was able to learn how I made money with that database of people, and um, that's what eventually allowed me to scale out. So yeah, I broke it down. I broke it down, you know. So how long was the runway, you think, from when you first started kind of making, you know, $50 a month to 5000 a month? And then I think you did do that three months in a row and you did leave, right? Yeah, so yeah. What was it that was, kind of time frame? Probably about 10 months. And this is where, this is where I learned uh, a, a real big lesson. So <laughs> uh, I remember I had these really good months like in um, September, October. And then the holidays hit right? November and December and nobody was spending money. And I was like, oh, I made two great months and I dropped off in November and December. Thank God I still have my day job because my goodness, I can't believe what kind of turmoil I'd be in if this was my only income and I had like zero sales or contracts come in in November and December because people are just like, you know, they're in the holiday season, right? Mm -hmm. So that's when I really learned the importance of setting up recurring revenue and having some sort of passive income. I'm sure you've talked about that a little bit um, on the show. But passive income is basically I create a product once, throw it up on Amazon, and people buy it every day mm-hmm. just because they come across it. And so I've done the work once, but I'm paid for it multiple times. 
And um, I needed that. I didn't have those kinds of systems or products or processes in my business. And that's when I understood the importance of creating recurring revenue. So I was like, oh gosh, licked my wounds, went back to it, you know, turn to the new year and really hunkered down. And within seven months after that, I was able to turn it around and just leave full, you know, leave completely. And that was great. I still yeah. remember that to that to this day. It was a great feeling. So what year was that that you were like officially free and out on your own? 2015. Yeah. 2015. 2015. So just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So in that, you know, two plus years since you you did kind of become Mike Kim uh, Enterprises full time, you've also zigged and zagged and um, made some shifts in that direction too and, and are currently kind of uh, evolving to the next level. So maybe tell me what that kind of process has been like as you have continued to try things and change and drop some things off the plate and add new things to it. Yeah. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, you have these four freedoms, right? And these are, these are things that no one else has unless they're entrepreneurs. You have freedom of time. You can decide how you want to spend your time. Uh, No one's telling you that you have to be at work by this time or that time. So you have freedom of time, you have freedom of money. So no one caps your income. I mean, that's an amazing thing. I don't have to fight anyone to see if I can give myself a raise. I just have to work a little bit harder or do something a little different and I can spike my revenue. Um, I have freedom of people so I can decide who I want to work with, right? And I don't have any bad coworkers and if I do, it's my fault, right? And the fourth freedom is the freedom of purpose. And I think that's one of those things that changes and evolves as you go through life, right? Purpose. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I often ask my clients when they need clarity on their brand message is I ask them three questions. I ask them, what really ticks you off? Number two, what really breaks your heart? And number three, what's the big problem you're trying to solve? And one day I asked myself those questions and I had a friend kind of just write down the answers and we just flipped the seats and I, I put myself in that seat. And I realized, Jennifer, like the, the things that I was saying had nothing to do with marketing. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what ticks me off? It ticks me off that there are great, brilliant, wise people out there and that wisdom never gets shared with the world because they don't know how to get out of cubicle nation and they don't know how to get out of their corporate job or they don't know how to escape or navigate that transition. That ticks me off. It ticks me off that organizations and companies and um, because of power and control will will stifle and even um, smother and abort that kind of wisdom and expertise. I think there are so many brilliant people in the world and they just go unseen and unheard because others are keeping them under their thumb. And I realized that has nothing to do with marketing. And what breaks my heart is that these folks, you know, stand at the bus stop every morning and fight through 45 minute commute through New York or New Jersey, or that's where I lived at the time. And, and uh, they're miserable. And their families are worse off because of it. They don't have great relationships with their kids because of it. They're stressed out. You know, they just feel like they're surviving through life. That breaks my heart. And the big problem I wanted to solve was I wanted to ignite people to step into their purpose. And I realized, again, none of these were marketing answers. The interesting thing, though, was that marketing is a vehicle by which I can solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that, then everything became clear to me. So, Right now, I still am driven by those core questions, the answers to those questions. I want to help people live in their fullest potential, uh, make an impact on the world, 
right uh, up until this point, it was done through marketing, but I'm switching gears again and I'm really trying to leverage the, the, the high level relationships that I've built over the years through marketing. I've befriended a lot of influencers. I've befriended a lot of leaders, corporate, um, nonprofit, um, you name it. And I'm trying to bring them together. And that's another unique thing that I, I carry and I didn't realize until, you know, a little bit later in life that I'm pretty okay at making friends with people. <laughs> so why don't I do something about that? Right. Why don't I connect people? So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm up to, but you can see how that introspection and that self-reflection of like, what's really, really inside my heart help determine which way I want to go. And I'm able to do it because I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you had a, your first live event last fall, right? Last August, was it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, August, 2017. And you're kind enough to invite me to speak there and it was called influence and impact. Um, and your goal was to do just that, to really bring together the people that, you know, that was kind of the focus of the event to talk about and learn about how they could create the most influence and impact in the world. And I, I shared this with you but at the time, but it was really a, a very, I go to a lot of events, obviously. It's what I do and what I love to do. And sometimes I'm speaking and sometimes I attend on my own. And um, even though I was speaking at your event, it was the value was really for me much more in kind of being a part of the conference and connecting with the people. And throughout that entire event, I kept meeting new people to me that I had not met or known before. And the first question I would ask is, you know, how did you find yourself at Influence and Impact? Or how do you know Mike? And so many people, I mean, there were people there that you have been childhood friends with for yeah. years. <laughs> there were, your former pastor was there, uh, you know, people that uh, had taken your online courses, people that were also in the mastermind with, with myself and you. Um, and I was struck so many times during that event, almost to the point of tears, and I think one point to the point of tears, about so many people that you have met along the way that are still in your life, that mm. still really um, are benefiting from you speaking into their lives and you uh, benefiting from them speaking into yours. So is that something that I don't, I don't know that I've ever been around a group of people so much where there was such a wide range of people throughout your entire life who were there supporting you? Um, yeah, yeah. How, how does that happen? How does one build that kind of relationships with people and influence and impact? You know, I just, I feel, well, thank you for saying all that. And um, I, I just, I feel like I just try to be a good friend to people. I just try to be a good friend to people. Um, that was one of my strengths. I think, I, you know, honestly, I think I learned that because I was a musician. And if you can be friends with creative people, like artists who are like, the free spirits of the world and totally egocentric and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can somehow get along with those people. It's like, you can get along with anybody. Right. And I think empathy is huge. Understanding what people want, what people need, um, understanding how you can help them. And if you can't help them directly, who you know that can help them. And so the unique thing about that event, and it'll, it'll be like this for, for the next coming iterations of this you can't get into the event unless I know you mm -hmm. I like personally know you. And that's what makes it so fun 
I know everyone who's going to be there. And so it's just kind of like a, a family gathering. And the reason I did it was because, like you said, I had these friends that were in online marketing that I met in my you know latest career phase, if you will. I had all these people from my music and ministry days. I had people who were my childhood friends. I had people that um, came through my coaching programs and they were students of mine. And I was like, you know, all these people need to meet one another because there are some significant problems that they could solve if they just teamed up with one another. Unfortunately, they'll never meet unless I die. <laughs> the like, yeah, at the funeral. Yeah, I was like, and I would like to be alive when they meet each other. So I got to do something about it. That's why I did the the conference. We've got one coming up here uh, next month in Austin. We're doing it in Austin, Texas, and that's really just the heart behind it. Um, content you can get anywhere. The 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 talks from the stage you can get anywhere. Like you know, we live in this information overload age where you can just go on YouTube and download a video. It's really about the people that are in the room, the conversations that take place, and the camaraderie that, that forms because of uh, the shared alignment and the experience and the relationship that people have with me and therefore with one another. And so um, I just I think that it's one of these things where um, you, you realize that the most successful people in the world, they know how to leverage relationships. Mm-hmm. Not just relationships, but lifelong relationships in the spirit of generosity and, and mutual benefit, right? Right. Um, and, you know, we go through work, we go through life, and the real path to success is creating that inner circle of those lifeline relationships. And that's what I'm trying to facilitate. And I think you're doing a great job. And as you said, you have an event coming up in a few weeks and it's already sold out. So, um, you know, more people will have an opportunity to connect and get to know each other. And and you'll continue in that mission of helping people meet other great people. So as you've, again, kind of like um, maneuvering yourself along this journey, you've you've mentioned some things that you've done to, to create the next steps for you or to add to your expertise. Are there some you know, recommendations you can give to people, maybe not everybody who's listening to this podcast eventually wants to start their own business. In fact, I guess probably most of them don't want to or won't do that. But how can people really um, build into themselves? Are there books or uh, pathways that you can suggest where they can explore some of these ways to really live out their purpose? Yeah, you know, I I think the biggest thing for me, it actually traces back to that original story that I talked about when I met that guy who was at the top of the mountain, you know, of what I was doing at that time. Find someone who's living the life that you would like to live. I think books are great. I think um, podcasts are great. I love them. I consume a lot of material. But for me, it was who's living the life that I want to live. That's really what was guiding me at that time, you know, and even now. Like who's living the life that I want to live? I have this freedom. I have this margin. I have the, the control of like, you know, where my destiny lies and so on and so forth. But who's living the life that I really want to live? And when I ask myself that question, Jennifer, it's like, well, who's impacting a ton of people? Who is living every day to the fullest of their ability and continuing to expand those capabilities? And I look at people and this might sound cheesy, but people like Tony Robbins and Ray Dalio and some of these, you know, really, really accomplished people that are helping so many, not just through their words or through their content, but by building businesses and generating revenue so that they can give to charities, they can really make an impact in the world where money is needed to drive things forward. 
um, that's what I'm really opening my heart to right now. So the first thing I always do is I just look for somebody who is um, really living the life that I want to live. The second, I recommend this book all the time, and it's kind of like out of left field, but it's a book by Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings. And it is one of the most impactful books I've ever read. The premise of the book is that endings are just as natural in life as beginnings. And he has this great picture of a tomato plant or a rose bush. And I remember thinking about that at the time when I read the book. And the premise is that tomato plants bear so much fruit, they can't even hold it up. And I was like, that's true. That stinking plant is so ridiculous. Like it needs someone to prop it onto wires because the fruit it bears is so heavy, the plant can't even stand up. And it's kind of a picture of life. We're always busy. There are always things that are growing. You know, we are always producing more than our lives, our schedules, our bodies, our minds, our emotions can carry. And so that book really taught me not just to cut off the bad things, but to cut off the good things so that the best things could grow. And it, it was just monumental for me when I left behind that first career in music, which, I, which you know, defined me at the time. And then I went into corporate marketing, that position, and then I let that go. And that was, an, that was a necessary ending so that the best stuff could grow. And now I'm, I feel like I'm operating in my best for now, but I'm also still looking at what needs to end so I can do the next best thing. So Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. Can't recommend it highly enough. Well, thank you for that recommendation. So kind of thinking along the lines, I know you're, you're starting some new things, but what is next for Mike Kim? What are you learning and doing these days? I think that this idea of influence and impact, this event is something that I'm going to commit to for like the next 25 years. I'm, I'm really serious about that. And it might not be the event, but it's the spirit of the event, just connecting influencers for greater impact. That means to do that, I have to make new friends. I have to continue to cultivate relationships with my current friends, um, reconnect with people from my past. And I just have to put myself out there. And to do that, I need to be able to travel. I need to be able to network. I can't get bogged down in the day-to-day stuff that I do to run the business. And so you can see how that trickle-down effect, you know, takes place there. It's affecting things that I do on a day-to-day basis because if I can't go to that event or meet those people at that networking event, like, you know, I'm actually not fulfilling and moving towards my mission. And so what's next for me is really just continuing to build those relationships. Um, There's a chance and, uh, you know, I guess you'll be the first to hear it because I've been kicking around this idea this week. <laughs> I want influence and impact to ultimately be something along the lines of TED Talks. And I want to create symposiums where we can have some of the world's leading thought leaders, top thought leaders in all sorts of industries, healthcare, politics, medicine, law, um, education, business, obviously, humanitarian work, come and share their ideas. And it's like, well, why don't they just do, why don't you just stick with a TED Talk? I don't know. I just want to build my own thing, right? And I want to provide a platform for the people that I know in my life and um, just create that space. And so maybe it's a multi-city event. Maybe it's something uh, I should ask you about because I think you know a thing or two about multi-city <laughs> events. But that's, that's kind of what's giving me a lot of energy right now, opening platforms and stage time for people who have great ideas but don't have that audience. 
right? And so if I can gather an audience for them and get them in front of it and share their ideas, then I've given them a great gift. And then their message can have some feet to it and just carry on. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm kicking around right now. I don't have anything concrete yet, but I'm dreaming big. That's for sure. Well, I look forward to watching you make that happen because I have no doubt that you will. So if, you know, we've talked about kind of these relationships that you've had throughout your life and, and different people who have spoken into your life and, and advised you or helped you along the way. But if you had to kind of think back in your life about maybe one or two people who have really been, quote, impact makers in your life, people who have really made a difference in your world, is there somebody that comes to mind? Yeah, the first, I mean, this hands down is a guy named Eric Peoples. You met him at the last uh, Influence and Impact Conference. Eric was my, well, he wasn't my pastor. He was a friend of my youth pastors. And uh, I've known him since I was about 13. And the great thing about Eric was he was kind of like a father figure. Uh, I didn't really have a great relationship with my dad. So in my adolescent years, he was this just real strong masculine figure in my life that really, really um, shaped me during those years. And the great thing about him was as he continued to be my mentor, he allowed me to grow up. And that's really, really important. I think I see a lot of people out there in mentorship relationships and they don't let the mentee, they don't let the student grow up and become who they are. They kind of still treat them like they're 13 years old or 15 years old or whatever age it was when they first met. And Eric never did that. And as I stepped into my areas of expertise, he would actually call me and he said, hey, what do you think I should do? I'm like, you're asking me for advice? He's like, yeah, you're better at this than I am. And it just really showed me the power of healthy relationships, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so when I trace back who he has connected me with, the encouragement that he has given me, those off hour conversations that we've had in the middle of the night where he would just be like, hey, I'm checking up on you. Uh, how are you doing? What are you going? What are you, what are you doing? What are you up to? You know, how can I help? I'm thinking about you, you know, go do it. Um, and he would, he would always just have an encouraging word for me. And it was just so important for me to have that later. And I, in having that relationship helped me understand what it means to have a mentor and to be a mentor. Um, later in more recent years, Ray Edwards has been that person for me in online business. Ray is a copywriter or he was a copywriter, meaning he's the guy who writes, um, marketing ads, but he was light years ahead of me in the online business world. And he really helped me, um, connect with other influencers in his space. He was very open handed with his connections and his relationships with me. And I think it was just cause I really tried to be his best student. Right. I made it hard for him to ignore me. And so uh, as I continue to excel, he, he just he would just open doors for me just because he knew I was ready. And um, I can trace back a lot of my business success to Ray Edwards. And so both of these men are online. Um, I would absolutely recommend um, you check them out if you're tuning in. Eric is at ericpeoples.co. He is an executive coach now and he's doing a lot of public speaking and rayedwards.com. Uh, where you can find a lot of marketing and branding help. But more than that, just the idea of, you know, having the permission to prosper in your life. And so those two, Jennifer, like I look back on, they made a huge, huge impact in my life. Mm -hmm. Well, and thanks to you, I'm now connected to Eric and um, really enjoy learning from him as well. And, and Michael Hyatt connected me to Ray Edwards as well. Yep. So mm -hmm. definitely some great people to learn from. So what is the best advice that you've ever been given? Oh, wow. The best advice I've ever been given. 
man, it would probably be, probably be something along the lines of just be you because everyone else is taken. Mm-hmm. And that's tough uh, for me. That was tough for me because I'm not, uh, believe it or not, I'm not really an out in front type of personality. This is something that I've more stepped into in recent years. But for as long as I've you know lived, I've never been an out in front personality um, you know, by, by heritage, by, by heritage and background, I'm Korean. And so in that, in Korean society, you're taught not to stand out, which is a problem because I'm six foot three. So <laughs> first of all, I stand out no matter what, but, um, yeah, that was kind of ingrained in me since I was young. And so, uh, back to what I was saying earlier about just being a fish that follows the stream, that's how I, you know, lived my life. And when I started to under, you know, hear this concept, just just be you because everyone else is taken. I thought it was a little bit self-aggrandizing. I thought it was a little bit, you know, self-focused. But I realized that's how you make the most impact, right? How do you make friends with people? You just be you. How do you, you know? So if you just make friends with people, there are going to be people who like you and people who don't. And the people who like you, you're going to be able to serve and and be there for, and open doors for. And it only works if you're yourself. So that's the biggest piece of advice I think that I could share. That's great advice. So where can people find more about Mike Kim or the things that you're doing or sharing? You can go to MikeKim.com. That's where all things are centralized with what I do. I obviously I'm on social media a lot. I play around a lot with Instagram right now. Um, Mike Kim TV, um, Facebook, MikeKimTV.com slash MikeKimTV. All those links are on my website though. And um, that's really the place to go. Uh, I've got a podcast. And so, um, you know, we can post those links if you want to learn about personal branding and marketing yourself as a thought leader. Um, That podcast, I think, will be helpful to you. And um, anywhere that, uh, you know, their social presence or online presence, I'm usually on those channels. So, yeah. And definitely we will link up to those things in the show notes at jennifermcclure.net. Um, and the podcast, I, I like to always uh, point out that I am a loyal listener. I've listened to every episode from the early beginnings when the podcast was called Up and to the Right. And yes. then when you changed into more of a personal brand focus with Brand You. And I will continue to listen to anything that you share because I oh, really enjoy you. learning from you, Mike. And thanks for being here with me today on the Impact Makers podcast. It was a pleasure. Thanks to everyone tuning in and um, have a great day. Absolutely. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 